Well, it is a lonely saloon, man, if you, if you lose, you know what I mean? Like the, you know the cowboy movies, when it's a lonely saloon <laughs> in the Wild West. So, I don't know, look, Anthony, I wish him nothing but the best. I, I hope, you know, he's in a great frame of mind and he does good. And I believe he'll do good. And I believe, you know, this fight here, maybe a new coming and a new dawning. And let's see, man, then roll on maybe the potential for Dillian White and any other comers, Wilder and all those guys. I think Joshua needs the time out he needed to rebuild, you know, find that happy place in himself to believe that he's got that champion manager and spirit to re, you know, regained again. Now he's with Derek James. I'm sure Derek James is going to implement some stuff and hopefully he says the right things tomorrow and then on fight night on April the 1st that we'll see a new and improved AJ and he comes out and does the business and, and, and grown into the person that everyone's loved, you know, and has brought great boxing to the UK. Legendary said that you left him in a bloody pole. Yeah, he was high. It says that uh, y'all was on his private jet or something like that. Was Whoa. Like, yeah, that was pretty serious. And welcome back. Yes, he's back again. Um, the number one podcast in the sport where <laughs> you can't even go to a movie premiere without boxers acting out of pocket, can you? Jesus, what's the world coming to? Um, yeah, as always, this is the Beyond Boxing Podcast. We are on episode, I'm guessing, 143. I lose track all the time. On the road to 200. Still want to hit 200 by the end of the year. Uh, boxing's doing everything it can to slow me down, but I refuse to bend. But let's just start with with the main issue. And it's crazy today because I'm doing this without any headphones. So I'm literally just talking in. I don't know how this is going to sound. Um, I'm hoping my settings hold true on this one. But let's talk about... Richard and Lawrence supposedly getting into an altercation. Now, you're at the premiere for Creed 3. You got luminaries such as Jamie Foxx. You got Gaza Michael B. Jordan. Uh, and then whoever they could scrape up from the B and C list world. Um, I saw some washed up Channel U legends were on there. Now, for all the guys who don't know who Channel U is, Channel U used to be a TV station you could get on Sky, and if you paid a couple of hundred quid, they'd play the worst video. No matter how bad your video was, it would get on. If you don't believe me, just find the Nikki S and Nike tune on YouTube, and like there, there isn't a worse video ever than that. So you've got this Creed Three premiere a movie that no one wants. I only say that because I know Danny Watley hates Creed and I'm kind of bored of the Creed thing until Clubber Lang's involved in the Rocky franchise. It's kind of lame to me. So I think sort of yesterday evening and this morning, you start to see video emerge of Lawrence and Richard Riakpour getting involved in a bit of handbags. So I got sent the video and I looked and went, this feels staged. And I watched it again and I saw Spencer Fearon was there and I went, ah, oh, here we go. The fix is in, clearly. Anytime I see Spencer Fearon involved in something, especially if he's being the peacemaker, I know it's a setup. And it may even just be him going, this is what we're going to do. Yeah, we're going to do this. He's going to build you guys up. He's going to do numbers for IFL. And he's probably just said, here's a way I can ingratiate myself into another aspect of the boxing community. But it, it felt staged for a number of reasons. One, you got Richard Riakpour, kid from the Aylesbury State. Kids from the Aylesbury State do not push and shove. 
I don't care what block you're on, Taplow, wherever. If you're from the Aylesbury estate, you don't push and shove. If you associate with the kind of people that Richard definitely associates with, you don't push and shove. And you don't let people get in the way. If you're really going to deal with something, it gets dealt with. Richard is more than capable of dealing with problems. Lawrence is a kid from Hackney who's also capable of dealing with problems. There are a lot of people there who are capable of dealing with problems. So if there were problems, they would have been dealt with properly and Spencer wouldn't have been able to break that up. So when I saw the handbags, I just said, ah, this is for the cameras. This is, you know, a bit of grainy footage. You put a bit of bit of a filter on it, make it look edgy. Um, we only see 28 seconds of it all. We don't see the build-up. We don't see the aftermath. So it's like, well, guys, who's got the full video? Release the full video and let's see. I suspect if they release the full video, all you'd see is Spencer Fear on fluffing his lines. <laughs> Can we do that again, please? I said the wrong thing. You know what I mean? And there's probably another guy going, oh, man, I should have been in that shot. You know, they're all just acting up, man. That's all this is. It's... It's this whole nonsense that beef sells and beef doesn't sell. Good fights sell, competitive fights sell, challenging fights sell. And that's how you build careers. So I chuckled throughout the morning as I saw everyone, I mean, sharpening their grift, ready to get the, the clout, the likes, the views, but no endorsements and no money. No one's going to make any money off this because no one actually cares. Nobody cares because... We've sat around and we've watched Ilunga Makabu offer his belt to everybody. Like, anyone want to pay me a hundred grand and you can have this belt, right? That's what Makabu's offered. Not one Brits put their hand up and said, I'll have it. Badu Jack's gone. Yeah, I'll take that. Now, do I think Badu Jack can put a dent in Makabu? Uh, not based on the last fight. I expect Makabu to keep the belt. And I don't think it would be safe to put Badu Jack in with a Lawrence or a Richard, uh, not at his age. And that's no disrespect to a tough man, a hard man, but he's his toughness is essentially why he's not a guy who's going to be known for longevity in the game. So it'll be interesting to see how the fight goes, but I expect Makabu to win that one. So we look at that as fans and we go, they haven't put money into this. Then we look at Lawrence and go, well, what are you going to do with Lawrence? Oh, he's going to do the mandatory. Okay, what's coming after that? And this is the issue I have with Sky at the moment. And I've been positive and I've tried not to put the knife in on Sky because it's like, let's see what they're trying to do. And then I look at the people involved in Sky from top to bottom. You have some seriously intelligent people there, really smart boxing people there. Ed Robinson, Macklin's involved. You know, and I know people like to malign Adam Smith, but Adam Smith too, right? And there are others. There are loads of smart people involved in this operation. Johnny Wish, uh, Ambrose Mendy. Uh, there are loads of people, even the people they can lean on for advice like Clifton Mitchell. These are all smart boxing people. And none of the decisions that they seem to come out with from Boxer and Sky look like the work of intelligent people. So I'm like, who's making these decisions? Why is it that 
a year and a half into this, we've only had one world title fight amongst the men, and that was Josh Taylor. Josh Taylor's a top-ranked guy anyway. Why have we only had one world title fight? Who's controlling this? Why have certain people been signed? Who's controlling this? Is it being controlled from London or is it being controlled from somewhere else? That's the question we need to start asking because I don't believe that a ship captained by the people who are captaining the sky ship would have made many of these decisions. Because it's as simple as this. If I look at boxing from a business perspective, if I've spent a year and a half assembling the best cruiserweight talent in the country and probably the best cruiserweight talent in the world, right? Of the top 10 cruiserweights, Britain probably has half, I would say. You're telling me Ben Shalom cannot come out on whatever channel he chooses and say, listen, in July, we're going to have a cruiserweight extravaganza. It's going to be on pay-per-view. We're going to do it from, I don't care, the O2, Bournemouth, wherever. And here are the five people you're going to have fighting. You're going to have Lawrence Okoli fighting. You're going to have Richard Riakpo fighting. You're going to have Chris Biddlesmith fighting. You're going to have Isaac Chamberlain fighting. You're going to have Vidal Riley fighting. You might even have Jack Massey fighting a cruiserweight. Look at that for a lineup. All you have to do at that point is find them opponents. Yeah, one gets Makabu. One gets the Australian guy. There's your world title sorted for the top of the bill. Yeah, you got those top two sorted. Uh, Billum Smith might rematch Isaac. Who knows? If he hasn't rematch Isaac, there's someone else you can put in there with him. A Masternak, for example. Isaac can jump in with someone. And you start to match people up and you go, that's the card you'd pay for. That's an event you would go to. As, as a boxing fan, and to be honest, Cruiserweights only really appeal to the boxing fan. That's what you'd go to. And then you'd say, look, after this, we're going to have another show at the end of the year with the same people, but we're going to put the winners together. And so if Lawrence and Richard both win, they'll fight each other. And that might be for three belts. And then that will be both their last fight at Cruiserweight before they go up to heavyweight. That's so simple to do, and that's not an expensive proposition to put together. That is not hard to do. I don't care what anybody says. You should be able to do that as Sky Sports, comfortably. Have those two on pay-per-view. No fans will complain about that. Yet here we are faffing around. As if these cruiserweights have millions of other options, which they don't. And so that's why this Okoli react poor beef was pointless. It was pointless because it doesn't lead anywhere. This would have made perfect sense if Ben Shalom had said these two are fighting in the summer or they're fighting at the end of the year. Then I'd understand, oh my God, this tension, that was real. But go back to the last time Lawrence was in an all British dust-up. He didn't make it personal with Isaac. And a lot of that stuff was done to build up the fight. You remember, that was one of the best marketed fights we've seen in Britain. I live long, what will live long in the memory is Isaac Chamberlain putting the, the Okoli CV in the Hackney Gazette. All those sorts of things were cool. But if you remember, Lawrence didn't lose his head. Lawrence doesn't lose his head. He's a measured guy. He's a smart guy. He, he boxes how he lives. So he was never going to get sucked into that. As is Richard. Richard's a smart guy. Educated guy. He's not going to get sucked into that. He's about his business. So I just thought that's something concocted by Spencer for a bit of, bit of I don't know what you call it, mirth on a Thursday. 
bit of bit of a giggle on a Thursday. Insofar as that, cool. But let's not try and pretend that was anything more than it was, which is just a publicity stunt that, weirdly enough, seemed to have nobody from the venue intervene. In all the 28 seconds of footage, not one person from the venue intervenes and goes, what the hell's going on here? Which lets you know. Yeah, they, they, they ring fenced off their own area and they did what they wanted to do. I just want to touch on on the Matchroom show. You've got Lee Wood versus Mauricio Lara. And this is the downside of Matchroom being on the zone because it's got no airtime. It hasn't got the hype and the energy it deserves because you've got to remember, Mauricio Lara is a guy who laid waste to Josh Warrington. Laid waste to Josh Warrington. Had Warrington so confused and like discombobulated after that first fight. In the second fight, Warrington literally tried to headbutt Lara, like tried to headbutt the life out of him, like he was Brian Dean attacking a corner. And, you know, Warrington's not a terrible fighter. Like Warrington's one of the best featherweights on the planet and Lara played with him. So for Lee Wood to go, I'll take that all day, every day. Credit where credit's due. Do I think part of it is the fact that Hearn had another fight left with Lara and he's like, I need to get my money back somehow? Probably. Is it that Hearn can't do business with Bob and he can't do business with Al at Featherweight? Probably. So here's Lee Wood. And Lee Wood's got to face Mauricio Lara. And, you know, we're all here talking about, well, look at what Lee Wood did to Mick Conlon. No, look at what Mick Conlon did to himself. Um, Lee Wood didn't get a foothold in that fight until Conlon started to tire. If you're going to tell me that a young 24-year-old kid like Mauricio Lara, who lives at altitude, who trains at altitude, is going to get tired against Lee Wood, sell me whatever you're smoking. So the question is, if Mick Conlon can put you down, and we know Mick's not a puncher, what's Mauricio Lara going to do to you? How are you going to take those hooks round after round, fight after fight? How are you going to take those? How are you going to cope with the fact that this guy doesn't let you breathe? And that when you try and be aggressive, he knows how to slide back. How's Ben Davison, the genius, going to set traps for Mauricio Lara? There are all of these questions that are going to be answered on Saturday. I can't see Lee Wood winning. And I don't blame him because I think like the, the latter part of his career has been something to, to appreciate and marvel at. But we also have to be brutally honest and say Mick Conlon was a couple of stamina issues away from beating him. And with a degree of comfort for most of that fight. And we need to remember that Mick Conlon's not... He's definitely not Isaac Dogbo, that's for damn sure. So you've got to have a sense of perspective on, on how good these guys are. What I don't want to hear after this fight is, at least he had a go. You know, that mentality that a lot of boxing fans have where they'll, re they'll reward you for doing your job. Lee Wood's job as a world champion is to jump in there against anyone and he's supposed to win. If he doesn't win, it's a problem. 
But I wish him all the best because I like I like Lee Wood. I like his story. I like how he conducts himself generally. There's nothing to dislike. I just think this Mauricio Lara might be a scary guy. I just think he might be super, super scary. And we're going to find out on Saturday. Now we've also got Dalton Smith fighting Billy Allington, a guy that not many people know, not many people care about. And after Saturday, I think the calls for him to fight Adam Azim will just go through the roof. I don't see the point in delaying that fight. I, I don't I just don't see the point. You know, if Adam Azim, as he did on Saturday, can do those 10 rounds, did him with comfort, why not just jump in with Dalton Smith? No, I can't tell you who else is fighting. I think Chef Walker, or Chef Clark, not Chef Walker, sorry. <laughs> sorry for my northern listeners there. But no, Chef Clark is meant to be fighting. I think he was meant to fight Dex Spellman. He's not doing that now because Dex had to retire. And so wish Dex Spellman all the best in retirement. You could say what you want about the limitations around his skills and so on and so forth. He was a hard man who came to fight and gave his all. Right? He... He won't like people saying this, but he's, like I said, he's the template for a journeyman. A guy who shows up intending to win and can give a good account of himself and cause you trouble. And so he's had to retire. Um, you wish him all the best. I don't think moving up to cruiserweight was helpful. And I wish fewer people would do this. I wish more people would commit to, to their weight class. Light heavy was good for him. The problem is you're having to essentially move up like 25 pounds. And if you're not built for that and I mean like from a skeletal perspective it's always going to be a problem because everyone thinks you just bulk up with muscle and uh, you fill yourself up with water and now you're a cruiserweight okay but what about your bones what about your tendons what about your skull thickness what about the the density of the vertebrae in your spine what about all those other things that big people have so those guys who boil down to cruiserweight they already have what I call big person advantage and I don't think Dex Bowman had that. And so I, he should have stayed at light heavy. You can't say whether it would have prolonged his career. You, it's hard to say. But like I said, good man. I wish him all the best. And it's unfortunate that we're seeing so many people forced to retire so quickly. But it shows the border now upping their game and doing the right thing because we don't want any more deaths in the ring. I mean, we don't want any more tragedies in the ring. We, we just want people to arrive and leave the sport healthy. It wouldn't, it wouldn't be a, a slow week if I didn't start touching, you know, I'll go do my Eddie Hearn section, haven't I? People, people love to moan that I dig him out. So, you know, let me not disappoint those guys. He's been busy this week. Um, I think, as always, it's a lot of activity. It's a great way to burn your zone budget while appearing to be doing work. But in reality, he's not doing any work. So what, what's he done since I last talked about him? So he's met with, with Conor McGregor at the Black Forge Inn, you know, an event that was meant to be secret, yet everyone seemed to know it was happening. And they've seemingly agreed nothing, right? So do have they agreed that Katie Taylor can fight at Croke Park? No. As things stand, the venue is still unknown. So that will tell you that it's not going to happen at Croke Park. And it can't happen at the Aviva, as we've talked about before. So nothing's going to change. But maybe McGregor will get like notorious promotions involved, right? 
so Hearn can mitigate the risk. And it's good for zone to have Conor McGregor floating around involved in helping build up Katie Taylor. So really, that's probably what they talked about. How can Conor McGregor get involved? It's not going to happen at Croke Park. Just, I just don't believe the nation of Ireland is that interested, to be honest with you. And especially if Ireland win the Grand Slam in the rugby. By that point, they'd have burnt their cash. And I think round about that time is, if I'm wrong, please let me know. But it's around like the Heineken Cup time as well. And normally Leinster get to the final and Dublin's in the county of Leinster. Have people got the money to be doing all of this? I don't know. It doesn't feel that way. So I don't think Croke Park's a viable option. I think this has just been a load of publicity over nothing. As always, what else has he done? He signed Edgar Belanger, who... I have a feeling this guy will end up being another Anthony Sims Jr. That's what I feel. A guy who had a lot of buzz around him, but his his ability hasn't seemed to match as he's moved up the levels. You know, that that's my test for greatness is at what point does your rate of achievement start to slow? And it shouldn't be starting to slow till you get to that kind of world level. That's when you should be facing real tests. You should be able to breeze through everything up until that point. And I don't think Balanga is the guy because if he was, the American promoters would have done all they could to sign him. Hearn signed him because it's like a last desperate foothold in America. And what are you really going to do with him? I imagine Jacobs, Ryder, then Canelo. That's you done with Balanga. That's how I feel. And... For Hearn, it works because it's a very short-termist view. Hardcores will make a noise about Belanger being good. He's not amazing, but that's what you'll see. And then it's another case study for Hearn to say, look, I've made another star that no one, no one else could work, but it will be Ryder, Jacobs, and then Canelo, and that'll be the cash out on him. You know, I just, I think Hearn's done. And I'm going to say this carefully because I know people call me a hater. That period from the end of 2015 to when Joshua fought Takam, nothing you said about Hearn could stick. He was, he was pushing the envelope. He, what he was doing was light years ahead of where all the other promoters were. It's not the same now. Now, now you look back on it and go, did you really create those guys that you kind of fed off or you a parasite did you just feed off the backs of them and it's hard to tell the one thing you can give Hearn is Hearn knows how to put an event together but he doesn't know how to build stars look at the matchroom stable it's poor who's the last matchroom fighter that people really look forward to seeing talking about in pubs talking about in schools nobody but there was a time when, when Eddie had people like Kel Brook and, you know, an undefeated Anthony Joshua and a Carl Froch. And people in the playground would talk about those people. James Gale's one of them too. Eddie doesn't have that anymore. And he hasn't been able to create the next wave. So whether you're a Hearn fan or you're not, doesn't matter. You have to accept that he hasn't been able to create the stars, which he hung his hat on. He said, come to Matchroom and be a star. And that hasn't been the case. And you can't be mad about that. Let's take an example, Joshua Boatsy. What was it Eddie said? He said, the contract's done. Josh is a free agent. Josh can go where he wants, fight who he wants now. But Matchroom retained matching rights. 
So I had to just double check what matching rights meant because I thought it meant they could still match make for him, which it doesn't. It just simply means if if Sky and Boxer offer Josh 400 grand a fight, match have the option to match that. Now, I don't think, I don't know if that puts an obligation on Watsi to sign with Matchroom so long as they match. Now, that will be interesting to find out. Hopefully not, because that feels a bit like, like a, like a really bad contract. So we'll see, we'll see what happens. But as we're beginning to find out, I think it was, is it Habazin, the boxer, who was talking about how poor Hearn is in terms of offering money? He doesn't offer good money. As much as, you know, bo- this is what I mean about boxing fans. They love to be told what to believe. And I've been saying this for years. Eddie Hearn's only gift is that he pays you the night of the fight, right? You don't earn the most amount of money with Eddie Hearn. You don't. You get to be involved in some incredible events, by the way. That's true. And you get paid on the night. That's true. And you get paid the amount you're contracted to. That is all true. But look at the career that Boatsy's had. It's a wasteland, really, of unfulfilled potential. Look at what Eddie did to Lawrence. As soon as Lawrence got expensive, shelved him. Something similar with Felix Cash, though we don't know what Felix is doing outside the ring. But as Felix gets more and more expensive, it's like, ah, whatever. As soon as people get too expensive for Hearn, you notice he doesn't tweet about them anymore. He doesn't talk about them anymore. It's all the people who are economic for him, like a Fabio Wardley. When Fabio Wardley starts earning two, three hundred grand a fight, Hearn's going to drag his feet. <laughs> He'll probably give him one fight a year. And I think Hearn's now understanding why people like Javante Davis and Broner were only fighting once a year under hell. Because it's expensive and boxing's not the kind of market where you can make that money back easily. There are a handful of people who can ride who can ride out on pay-per-view, and they're the guys who make the money. Everyone else is just kind of hanging in there. You know, Hearn, what was Hearn hinting the other day that he may have possibly been in talks to sign Wilder? He'll never sign Wilder. Shelly Finkel's his manager. <laughs> Shelly Finkel is Deontay Wilder's manager, co-manager. Hearn's been so disrespectful, it would cost so much that it wouldn't make sense for Dessert. You wouldn't sign off on that. You'd say, right, we can either have Wilder or Joshua. And on the subject of Oluwafemi, Eddie Hearn's come back out and said, yeah, if the Usyk fight doesn't happen, we'll happily fight Tyson Fury in the summer. And you're just like, no, you won't. No, you won't. Um, there was all that talk in December and I don't know who was responsible for it all falling through. It just, it felt like it wasn't going to happen then. It feels like it won't happen now, but it's a nice way to drum up interest because they could just wheel out Dillian White for a fight and they know they can. But it's always good to insert your name next to Fury. Why? It's just good for social media. It's good for the algorithm. But the harsh and brutal reality is Anthony Joshua with a new trainer with shock confidence, doubting himself, worried, not bothered about legacy anymore, just focusing on money, will get ripped apart by Tyson Fury. So this idea fans have of Joshua could do this, he could do that, I don't think he can be a monster anymore. So why would you fight Fury? Whereas 
Fury Wilder 4, you don't doubt for a second both men want to fight each other and they'll do it again and get paid an insane amount of money because that's the fight, whatever boxing fans want to say, that's the fight where you see two big men at the top of their game going at it. No one's looking for the ropes. No one's running around. It's right. Who's the badder man? You rarely see that. It's Fury, it's Wilder, and Joyce. They're the only heavyweights, the big men right now, doing significant damage. And that's why the fans like them. Joshua tried to be Cuban. Before that, he tried to be Mike Tyson. He doesn't know who or what he wants to be in the ring. You know, what we're going to see when Joshua comes out, he's going to start boxing Southpaw like Spence. Oh, come on, man. Like, I just, another example of Hearn butchering a career, you know, with ample help from Anthony Joshua himself. Because I think all we heard in the media run was Joshua having to take ownership of the fact that he's made terrible decisions around coaches. And then he's made terrible decisions because he listened to a, a terrible coach tell him who to choose to coach him. And so everything post McCracken just feels like bars remorse massively. And it's proof that no boxer should be in charge of their own camp because that was an absolute disaster. Absolute disaster. And people said, I didn't know what I was talking about when I told them this camp is rotten to the core. There's no one that Joshua listens to. They're all scared. I told you in that video, not one person in Team Joshua told him, maybe you don't want to be talking nonsense. That was an ego that was out of control. And the thing with out of control egos, eventually you get knocked out. But if I can just divert and swing back to things that don't make sense. So from what I understand, and I'm working, for, I'm working from today going backwards. So the WBO have ordered Josh Taylor to defend his WBO belt against Teofimo Lopez. If we pause there, hell of a fight, Right? Terafima with everything to prove, Josh Taylor with everything to prove. Josh has been undisputed at 140. And now he's testing himself against the new breed. Okay? That's an interesting enough backstory, by the way. So if this fight's announced, I think this is a great fight, right? And I'm giving Teo a lot of credit for taking this on because Josh is big, he's strong, and he can fight. Yeah, and luckily he's no longer with Bear Davison, so he may carry a threat again. But this was clearly news to Sky, and this was news to Ben Shalom. I'm like, well, why? As much as people say that Jack Capital was robbed against Josh Taylor, I think when we look back on it a year from now, it wasn't a robbery. It was a decision you didn't agree with. Two different things. Once you separate the emotion from the fact, two different things, close fight, didn't mind which way it went, quite frankly, didn't care because Josh put in a Ben Davison performance and Jack Cattrall put in maybe the most negative performance I've seen in a while. I'm not a fan of Jack Cattrall. I don't think he's got a main event skill set. I don't think he's a main event talent. He's got that same problem Michael McKinson does of not being entertaining. Hard to figure out, awkward, yes, not entertaining. So if you're telling me that I can get away from watching that fight, fantastic. I don't think Josh has to put anything right. Josh Taylor's undisputed at 140 pounds and not one person questioned his record at 140. Not one person. 
So Josh Taylor has nothing to prove to anybody at 140. Catchwell's got everything to prove. He's never won a world title. Teofimo's had all the belts at 135. He's now at 140. He wants belts there. I get where that's coming from. And then the winner of that fight will probably fight Progre. Because if we go back to it, it was meant to be Teo versus Progre. It looked like they couldn't quite do those negotiations. So the hope, I guess, is Taylor beats Lopez. Taylor can fight Progre. More money in that. But then you'll see Progre probably fight Ramirez. So we're, we're, we're at a point where at 140, the, the main people at 140 right now are fighting each other. Nobody cares about Jack Cattrall. Nobody. Because he's done nothing to enhance his brand. At any point now, he could have fought a Ritson. He could have fought an O'Hara Davis. He could have fought absolutely anybody at 140 to say, listen, I want to fight Josh, but in the meantime, I've got stuff to be getting on with. He hasn't. He just sat on his ass waiting for that rematch. I'm glad they swerved him. I'm glad they left him hanging. I'm glad they've left him without an option because here's a lesson for you as a boxer. You need to live for you. Your career is about you and you only. Now Jack Cattrall's going to be back to making chump change, fighting at the Victoria Warehouse in Manchester or wherever because there's no need for him. There's no need for him. If Ben Shalom can't get Billy Joe a fight, he ain't going to get Jack Cattrall a fight. That's for damn sure. Do you know what? And I can relate to to where Jack Cattrall is. I remember my younger years, about when I was a student, and I remember going through the whole milk round process, right? You go through all this. It was asked when I graduated. You go through the milk round process. And I was turning down job offers because I thought I was worth more. Coming to the end of the, like, end of the period, I, I had nothing. Because the things I thought I deserved weren't knocking for me. And they weren't knocking for me because I hadn't put the work in to obtain those things. I just hadn't. And once I did that work, I obtained them. And that's kind of where Jack Cattrall is right now, where he thought, I got this Taylor rematch, therefore I'm too good for everybody else. And the universe said, uh, you can go all the way back around where you started. You might have to fight Masha Dodd now. You might have to fight Sean Masha Dodd or Tom Farrell. Sorry, mate, but that's, that's, how, that's how the cookie crumbles. So listen for all you boxers. Stay active. Be like Jermaine Brown, who's gone off to Italy to fight someone, Zuko. But he had to, to stay active, to stay relevant, because the guy he lost to, Zach Chelly, is making statements against a guy like Anthony Sims. And we can all be wise after the fact and say Anthony Sims isn't that good. And I've always felt that Anthony Sims is just a fragile guy. Spiritually, physically fragile. Zach Chelly is anything but fragile. And Zach did just enough to win. He didn't even go through the gears on this guy because if he had, he might have got him out of there. But at a time when we focus on all of these superstars and their social media engines and this, that, and the third, we never talk about guys like Zach Chelly. Never turned down a fight. Zach Chelly's 25. He's the same age as Daniel Dubois. Never gets the same respect. Had a similar, similar kind of boxing upbringing in that he, he hopped from club to club to club. Um, I remember him at the Lodge, even though I wasn't there at the time, I still helped corner him for the ABAs, you know, through that journey. Um, and through, through that whole process, 
I've watched Zach grow, but one thing Zach was always, was always, always tough. He's always mentally resilient. You couldn't get in his head. You couldn't. I think as he's got older, he's just less reckless. And I think he's just matured nicely. And I keep saying this, he's got echoes of Carl Froch about him. Yeah, it's not pretty, but it's effective and it's entertaining. And when people come to fight, that's when you see the best version of Zach Shelley. So what do you do with Zach now? I think you put him in with Zach Parker. If you can get Danny Jacobs to fight him, let Danny Jacobs fight him or Gabe Rosado. But you start putting him in with guys who are, who are known to the wider boxing world because he deserves that now. He's got the names of his peers on his record, Anumar Sadiq, a Jermaine Brown. You've got peers on your record now. Now it's about testing yourself. And I, I wish him all the best because I think he's a lovely guy. He's a good guy. Initially, I think his profile was tarnished by his dad's antics. But I think as you see him grow into himself as a man, yeah, I think he's a class act. I'm a big Zach Chelly fan. I wish him all the best. And that's kind of what you want to see. And too often, this isn't what we see. So back to what I was saying, like Jermaine Brown's going to go off to Italy and he's going to get that win. And then we're going to start talking about him maybe having a rematch with Zach, but he probably needs a couple of good wins. And then why not do that? I'd like to see after this, I'd like to see Adam Martin, by the way, Ad, happy birthday, mate. I'd like to see Adam start pushing for the Heffron fight. Like, just put Jermaine in tough. Say, right, you got to fight Heffron. And then as a trainer, you got to figure out how you beat Heffron. And Jermaine's got to execute. That's where I'd like to see that one go. But I think more boxers need to start looking after the here and now. Don't worry about what they said they'll give you next year. They probably won't give it to you. So focus on the here and now is my advice to everybody. Do you know what? It would be off if I didn't talk about Tommy Fury and Jake Paul. And Mauricio Suleiman's done everything I wanted him to do by saying the winner of this fight will be ranked in the WBC. I think this is brilliant. I think this is absolutely brilliant. And I... <laughs> Here's the problem. We do all of this stupid stuff in boxing and we accept it. We accepted Hearn lying to us. We accepted fights that never happened. We accepted situations that we weren't comfortable with. We accepted boxers taking drugs and we tried to justify them. We tried to do all of this. And what we were doing was debasing the value of our sport. And that's all of us as fans. Look, there were managers who were trying to protect their fighters till they could get the opportunity they thought was important. And that's backfired. Because you saw what happened with Brad Paul's and Tyler Denny, right? <laughs> and and this is a lesson. And this this is a lesson for everybody. All right, let's, let's think this through. So Brad Paul's loses to Tyler Denny, right? Brad's more talented than Tyler Denny. Brad's probably had more training sessions, probably higher quality sparring, all this sort of stuff, right? Brad Brad's had all the right things put into him. You know, there are arguments about whether he's been consistent and active enough. Up for debate. But here's the thing. 
Since Tyler Denny lost to Linus Adolfio, which was a close, close fight, close decision, he's been in with people you could class as slightly better than him or his peers. He hasn't had it much filler. He's not fighting Eastern Europeans. He was fighting people where he had to fight. I don't think Brad did. I don't think Brad's got a record over the last three or four years of beating his peers and fighting people. And bear in mind, Brad Pauls was a talented amateur. You know, a couple of couple of clicks on the click and he might have been in the ABA semifinals or something like that. And this is that close. So Brad can fight. What did for Brad was he wasn't used to being in situations that got tough. I'm sure if you sat down and spoke to Denzel and said, what did you think about boxing before Hefron won and after Hefron won? He needed someone like Hefron to show him that there's more he could do. And he did more in the second fight. And Denzel's learned from that. The same with, with Janabek. He realized that there was another level that he could reach. Not, not, not that was out of reach for him. He could reach that level. And you see the dedication required. You've seen the same with Dan Aziz. They've realized that there's another level. And they have the capability and the ability to hit that level. And hit that level they will. So then you, you, you flesh that out and you go, okay. By the time Denzel had fought Linus, look at, the, look at the contrasting profiles. And I think Linus might have had his debut before Denzel. Look at the contrasting profiles of opponents. And you can say, yeah, but he's with Frank. And I, that's a valid argument to an extent. But these are all people that anyone could have fought up until like the Heffron fight. You can't avoid hard fights. You can't avoid tough fights. And it's one of the problems you have when you're managed by someone who hasn't had to guide a career in ring was what I mean. So if, you, if a trainer's a manager, it's different to if a promoter's a manager or if, if a general Joe's a manager. Because to those guys, it's all theoretical, right? It's all theory. Because to, to anyone else who's trained, for example, to all those like who've trained fighters and who have, who've had to kind of take that role on, you're always doing an internal assessment and going, where's my guy now? If he fought this person, would he be ready for that? And you may say technically, yes, but in terms of those hard miles, no. And I think sometimes this is missed. Like you'll see guys, um, even matchmakers, guys like, I don't want to name names, it's not worth a hassle, but th th there are matchmakers who have turned promoters, right? Not promoters, turned managers. And they make the wrong call on numerous occasions. You can see they make the wrong call because they've never had to really benchmark where their opponent is, what, what's needed not just to win the fight that's coming up, but to win the really big fights because you're trying to get your investment in early. I think that's probably what happened with Brad. There may be other factors that I'm not aware of, right? But Brad, Brad's a guy that should beat Tyler Denny seven times out of 10. But if you don't go through the process the right way, it's very, very hard. And I'm going to say this because I say it every time, tough fights make tough fighters. Can't escape from that. And if, you, if you're not in that position, it, it can get tricky. That's the truest way to describe it. It can get very, very tricky. I hope Brad rebuilds. Hey, he's 
decent enough kid. Same as I feel with Linus. I think these experiences will up their levels and they'll be back. They'll be back and they'll be competitive. And that'll be a good thing for boxing because we need that strength and depth. But we should never forget that this is a serious sport. You can't shelter your people from reality. They did it with Joshua. He got found out. Maybe they did it with Tony Yoka and he got found out. You can get found out pretty quickly in this sport. So I wish them all the best and I hope they can come back from this. I'm just going to just touch on some admin stuff. Um, just from my own perspective, um, we had we had Wimborne Amateur Boxing Club drive a couple of hours. from Where are they? Dorset? They came up for some sparring. Had a lovely young lady called Gabs. Young girl with a really good style. Um, be intrigued to see how she develops because, you know I mean, good height, long limbs, um, all the right moves. I think she's just got to develop, really. I think that's the way I describe it, but she was lovely. Um, Coach David was fantastic as well. Lovely to meet them in person and all this sort of stuff because, you know, they're people you see on the internet and so forth, but it's always good to meet people in person, so that was really good. And it, it always reminds me that, because people ask me this question, what's it like in sparring? What's it, what's, what? And I always say, here's why sparring is different to a fight. The girl we had, um, ah, let me not drop names, man. We'll call it D for now. The girl we had, I knew already, far stronger, far stronger. Um, the weight was probably similar, but strength, you couldn't compare the two. So what's the point in us slapping the life out of someone like that's not fun we need to work on what we need to work on right which is staying composed because we already know the strengths there staying composed making good choices and just focusing on positioning being the right position to do the right thing right that's what we focused on and so when you know when people say ah oh, this guy got the better of sparring or this guy did this in sparring that's not always the case. The important thing is you get out of it what you want. So all I wanted was good positioning, good decision-making. I didn't want knockdowns and knockouts. Maybe we could have got those, but then why are they going to come back down and work with us? And then I'm sure they had the things they wanted to work on as well, which may not be the same things. And as long as you get out of it what you want, then it's good. Now, there's certain times where you might come in and you might talk to a coach and the coach is like, look, um, no. Our fighter here has got very comfortable in the gym, you know, can handle everyone we've got. We need someone who's going to drag them out of their comfort zone, make it rough in there. Okay, cool. We'll do that. All right, I'm going to put this guy in with him. And then that's what we do. We put a lad in there to rough him up, make him, make him feel uncomfortable, make him feel awkward, test him. Yeah. But that doesn't mean we got the better of sparring. It means we did what we were supposed to do. Now it's about whether he can do what he's supposed to do. Sparring should never be competitive. You're not trying to get a 10-9 or a 10-8. But what you're trying to do is not lose control of the situation. You always want to feel you're comfortable in that situation. And that's really how you grow as a fighter. So all the times you hear, ah, oh, he did this in sparring, he did that in sparring. Always have that little caveat of what was everyone trying to work on? Sometimes you get a hostile spa. <laughs> Listen, you got a fight coming up in four weeks. You need to find out where you're at. So you're going to put kids in there to take your head off. And I think that's good. But even at that point, you can't talk about, yeah, you stood him on his head. 
I'm, I'm not a fan of that. Sometimes you can. Like, if you get two peers, like, if for, let's just say, like, on a Saturday, James DeGale and George Groves bump into each other at Dale Youth and just put the gloves on. We're going to talk about who got the better of that because that's really just about them getting at it. That's just a non-sanctioned fight. And we'll go, okay, I think James got the better of that, which is different to what I call, like, tactical sparring where you, you know, we just sparring on a weekly basis. So I just said that to just bear that in mind, but no, big shout out to Wimborne. Cause that's a long way to travel for sparring. Um, grateful. They, they, they shot us some game that we didn't understand. Uh, you know, they explained how the Irish system is different and actually is probably beneficial to be an Irish boxer because you can get more bouts because they have a different system and all this sort of stuff. So it was educational for me to understand how different people do things. And, you know, they're the things I enjoy in the sport. Those little, little, just little bits where I'm like, God, I'm still learning. And so it's onwards and upwards, man. I'm sure when I'm done here, I'm going to go and coach and impart some more ideas. Just one more note, guys. If you had any idea how hard it is to get somebody from zero to doing what you see on TV, you'd feel so much different when you see guys lose or guys get knocked out, this thing is hard. It's hard to do. It's hard to teach. And those guys who manage to get over all of those hurdles, every so often, they just deserve a thumbs up even when they lose. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a good point to, to wrap up on. All I'll say is, we brought this on ourselves in terms of Jake Paul and, and Tommy Fury. Until we take the sport seriously, no one else will. So let's try taking the sport a bit more seriously. Take care, guys.